Fantastic. My name is Chris, and I'm the lead pastor at OneChurch.tv, and we are in week three of our hashtag shark series. Here's what I'm going to need everybody to do. Put your hands up in the air. I want you to put them together, and everybody goes, shark series. Come on now. We are in week three of this series, and I'm so excited about where we've been up to this point. And if this is your first time with us today, uh, man, I tell you, you're welcome to go on our, and download our One Church app for free and be able to catch up. Um, really, the, this entire series is all about relationships and friendships. It's all about uh, wh- who are you going to allow to be in your inner circle to influence you. You know, here's one of the things as we kind of process this. And I know some of you guys have had some questions. And how, how, how can we continue to reach out to people who don't, don't know Jesus Christ and yet, you know, with the sharks and all the stuff? And it's simply this. God calls us to influence everyone, but we have to be careful about who influences us. So uh, it, we're, this is really about talking about your BFFs. You know, if, you're, if your best friends, if they're struggling uh, with uh, marriage and pornography and addiction, and uh, just know that that's probably where you're going to be as well because you show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Well, today uh, we're going to be uh, talking about how do you survive a shark attack. One of the things we learned last week is that the reality is most of us are swimming in shark infested waters and we don't even know it. We, I mean, some of you, how many of y'all going to the beach? Let me hear you. How many of y'all been to the beach already? I don't like y'all. So, um, because I love the beach. I do. I love the sand. I love the surf. I love swimming. Uh, I love all of that. So, um, but uh, here's something you may not know, that there are over 300 species of sharks in our waters that we swim in. And every once in a while, you're going to hear of a shark attack. But here's this. The probability of being attacked by a shark is 100 million to one. Think about that. You are more likely to be killed by a dog, a snake, or a cat, most definitely, or being killed in a car collision by a deer. Listen to this. You're 30 times more likely to be killed by lightning than a shark, and you're three times more likely to drown at the beach than to die from a shark attack. Did you know that even digging a hole in the sand at the beach is actually more dangerous than sharks? Turns out you're more likely to be killed by digging at the sand in the beach than being killed by a shark attack. Sixteen people died last year digging until the sand collapsed and smothered them. And only a dozen people died of shark attacks last year in that same period. Clearly, you'd be safer in the water than on the beach, right? But get this, more people are killed wrestling a vending machine than by sharks, 37 people were killed when they toppled a vending machine over on them trying to get a Coke. Twice the number killed by sharks in the U.S. So just when you thought it was safe to get a Dr. Pepper, uh uh-uh, right? On average, there are about 65 shark attacks worldwide each year, and only about a handful are fatal. Even when sharks do attack, most times when they do attack, it's kind of a hit and run. The sharks take a bite. They realize, whoa, that's not what I was expected. And they def- go and find something more delicious. It kind of reminds me of this video of the surfer we looked at last week who was almost attacked by a shark. Let's watch it now. Something 
I was just sitting there. I was just about to like just start moving, and then I felt something grab, like got stuck in my leg rope, and I like instantly just just jumped like away, and then it just kept coming at my board, and I just was like kicking and screaming, and wow. <laughs> see some teeth? You get some teeth? I just saw fins. I didn't see the teeth. I was I was waiting for the teeth to come at me. I was swimming. I was like, ah! Did you get a couple punches in? I punched it in the back, yeah. Mate, I'm happy to not even compete ever again. <laughs> like, seriously, like, to, to walk away from that, I'm just just so stoked. And, oh, man. Oh. <laughs> that is funny. Ah, right? I tell ya. Quick question, and this is where we're going for the rest of the morning. How do you come back after a shark attack? Can you come back after a shark attack? How, when, when the chunks and hunks have been taken out of your life, those wounds many times either define us or they will refine us and shape our lives. Is it even possible to come back after sharks, mean people, attack you? And I want to help you today. I want to help you today know not only how to survive a shark attack, but even thrive when difficult and mean and ornery people come after you. Because the reality is sharks are everywhere. We swim in shark-infested waters. They're out there, and they're out to get us. And, I, and I'm not just talking about the sharks in the water. I'm talking about the, our land sharks. Some of you have sharks in your family. You have sharks at your work. All of us, the reality, will get attacked for one time or another by sharks. In life, we're going to get chewed up. We're going to get gnawed on. How do you survive when somebody lets you down? How do you survive when somebody promises you something and they don't follow through on the promise? How do you survive when somebody turns on you and betrays you and walks out on you or disappoints you? How do you survive that shark attack? Out of nowhere, the, sl- the fins come slicing through the water, and just like that surfer, I mean, there's, you don't see the teeth, but you're punching and you're trying to get away from these people, or it may not even be people, it may just be difficulties in life. It may be circumstances, it could be a marriage, it could be a friendship, a relationship that's went sour. Maybe you're feeling like you're being attacked financially. Or maybe you sound like, Chris, I, I am being attacked in an area that I really can't even talk about because we're in church. You need to realize this. Sometimes sharks isn't just people. Shark attacks don't come from people. They become from circumstances. When you, how do you survive when those overwhelming circumstances feel like you're drowning in them? Maybe a bad economy, a failed career can feel like a shark attack. A series of unexpected events can feel like a shark attack. Maybe a bad day or a bad doctor's report. Maybe, maybe it's a costly expense. Maybe your, your car, your vehicle broke down and it's going to be $1,500 to repair. And it's like, how am I going to do that? How can you come back when you feel like you've been attacked by sharks. Today, I want to point you to a passage of scripture written uh, by a guy, a physician. His name is Luke, and we're going to be looking in the book of Acts. In Acts, Luke wrote the book of Luke, but he also wrote the book of Acts, which is the story of the early church. And he gives us insight into a guy that we call Paul. I was talking to Joe Padula at the 9 o'clock service. He says, if he was from Jersey, we'd call him poorly. So forget about it. But uh, Paul, we know him as the Apostle Paul. Paul had a former name and a former life. 
His former name was Saul, and his former life was that he hated and persecuted and killed and tortured Christ followers and Christians. Saul persecuted the church. But one day, something shifted inside of his life that never shifted back. He experienced the love of Jesus Christ. He opened up his life to Jesus, made Jesus the ruler and the savior of his life, and he never, ever became the same. And his name changed from Saul to Paul. Once he was persecuting the church, and now he's planting churches. So the other guy that we're going to be looking at, his name is Silas, and that's Paul's friend. He's a missionary. He's also a Christ follower. And these two guys are traveling with Luke, the guy who's writing the story, and they're telling everybody of the good news of Jesus Christ. So Paul and Silas and Luke head to a place called Philippi. Now, Philippi is in Macedonia or modern-day Greece. This town had many Greeks, many Romans living there, but very few Jews living there. So Paul and Silas and Luke meet this lady in the fashion industry, very wealthy, and her name was Lydia Gucci. I'm making up the last name. It's just Lydia. So, verse 13. On, on the Sabbath, we went a little way outside the city to a riverbank where we thought people would be meeting for prayer, and we sat down to speak with some women who had gathered there. So Paul's habit was when he would enter into a new city, was to begin where the local Jews were worshiping, called the, the Jewish synagogue or the Jewish church. Paul was a rabbi, and he was a student of the greatest rabbi at that time. His name was Rabbi Gamaliel. Paul could be assured that people, if he showed up in the Jewish synagogue, they would listen to him. Paul always started with people whom he had something in common with, the Jews, since he himself was a Jew. So he goes to the Jewish synagogue, but in Philippi, there is no Jewish synagogue, probably because there's not very many Jews living in Philippi. So somehow, Paul and his friends get wind of there are some God-fearing Jews meeting next to the river for prayer. Verse 14, one of them was Lydia, what was her last name? Gucci, right? Lydia from Thyatira, a merchant of expensive purple cloth who worshiped God. And as she listened to us, the Lord opened her heart, and she accepted what Paul was teaching. Now, Lydia was a very, very rich woman who had her own business, and she dealt within fabrics. At that time, purple dye was crazy expensive because the color came from a very, very rare shellfish. Purple garments were worn only by royalty and the very, very extreme wealthy. So Lydia, she made bank. She, I mean, she had a lot of money, and she enters into a relationship with Jesus, and look what she immediately does, verse 15. She and her household were what? Let's say it all together. They were what? Baptized, and she asked us to be her guest. If you agree that I'm a true believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my home, and she urged us until we, Paul, Silas, and Luke, who's writing this, agreed. So Lydia not only opened up her home to her new guest, she opened up her heart to her new Savior. And because she responded to their message. So things are going well at Philippi. Everything is good. Paul's following God. Silas is following God. Luke's following God. Uh, I I mean, Lydia gives her heart to Jesus Christ. And then verse 16 happens. By the way, when you hear that music, what do you do? Get out of the water. Right? One day, as we were going down to the place of prayer, verse 16, 
we met a slave girl who had a spirit, a demonic spirit that enabled her to tell the future. She earned a lot of money for her masters by telling fortunes. So this girl was a fortune teller. And her owners were making a lot of money off of her demonic plight. She is suffering because of the spirit that's living inside of her. And all of these men can think about is making money off of her suffering. Things haven't changed over the past 21 centuries, have they? Verse 17. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God, and they have come to tell you how to be saved. I mean, she's yelling and screaming over and over, making it difficult for Paul and Silas and Luke to create conversations to talk about Jesus. Now, after a couple of days, Paul gets frustrated. Look what happens. Verse 18. This went on day after day until Paul got so exasperated that he turned and said to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And instantly it left her. That didn't go over too well because her owners, the masters of this slave girl, were making a lot of money from this girl selling fortunes. So when they saw that the girl is healed and in her right mind, they get very upset. You know this? People get really funny funny when they mess with the money. You know what I mean? They get really crazy funny when you start messing with how they make a living. So look, look, look what happens in verse 19. Her master's hopes of wealth were now shattered, so they grabbed Paul and Silas. That sounds like an attack to me. And dragged them before the authorities in the marketplace. The whole city is in abrupt uproar because of these Jews, they shouted to the city officials. They are teaching customs that are illegal for us Romans to practice. So look at, look at what happens with this dialogue. Just keep that up if you would. They played the race card, these Jews. They played the flash mob card. They're in Macedonia and Greece and all the mall causing all these flash mobs. They played the religious card. They're trying to shove God down our throats. But you know what? That wasn't the deal at all, was it? You see, what had really happened was that they had cast out a demon from a slave girl who needed it. And this slave girl made them all their money, so they exaggerate and they lie about and they attack them and they drag them before the authorities and everybody joins in on the attack. That was the situation. A full-on feeding frenzy. They're in the midst of getting attacked by sharks. Verse 22. A mob quickly formed and attacked Paul and Silas and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. This, this mob, these sharks are on a full-on feeding frenzy. Let me tell you guys, I have seen this happen, and you have too on social media, haven't you? I've seen people that I love and I care about being accused sometimes wrongly about something, and people will go on Facebook, or they'll go on Clarksville Now, and they will just absolutely just spout venom, and they don't know all the facts. Do you know that every time somebody gives you a a story, there's another side of the story? You see, that's what the book of Proverbs says. It says, be careful before you judge a story because every story has another side, just like a coin. So when you have one thing out there on social media and you choose to blast, what you're doing is you're a shark and you're becoming a feeding frenzy. The waters of social media, we said this last week, The waters of social media are the perfect places for sharks to swim. 
And that's exactly what happened. Paul and Silas are simply teaching and preaching the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness and love of Jesus. And they're talking about the blood of Jesus, that Jesus shed his blood for you and for me. He took the licks that we deserve so that we could have a relationship with God. So when you're talking about the blood of Jesus, when there's blood in the water, guess what happens when there's blood in the water? What, what, what comes around? Sharks do. Sharks show up. When you walk with God, did you know you're going to face sharks? Now, if you, even if you don't walk with God, you're going to face sharks. But I tell you, if you walk with God, you will face sharks, but those sharks and those shark attacks will have a deeper meaning for you. And you will find purpose and forgiveness and love there. And if you don't know Jesus Christ and when those evil people attack, I don't know what you do. I don't know how you even are able to respond or how you're able to forgive. But man, when people are coming in and they're taking those chunks out of our lives and we just simply pray to God, all right, God, I give you control of this situation. I understand that you didn't cause the sharks, but because we lived in a simple, jacked-up world, sharks happen. Maybe I ought to create like a... Uh, a t-shirt. Sharks happen. You think it would, uh, maybe not. God can give us meaning in our attacks. God never wants to waste a crisis in your life or in my life. Never. He never wants to waste one because if he doesn't, guess what? We can listen to him. So shark attacks. And sometimes when we face sharks, blood's in the water, and that just happens. There's something about when we become a Christ follower and we think we're doing good, that bad, the bad things will never happen to us. No, that's not the case at all. Many times that's when bad things do happen to us because Satan is not happy that we have an enemy, a real enemy. Things will get difficult. And that's exactly what happens to Paul and Silas. Verse 23. They were severely, what? Beaten. The word beaten in the Latin is the word lictor. It's where you hear the phrase, you know what? Taking your licks. Y'all have heard that, right? That's where we get it from. They were beaten. Chunks and hunks of flesh. Blood flying everywhere. Then they were thrown into the dungeon. Their backs bleeding. Their feet fashioned. Their torso stretched in excruciating pain. Paul and Silas, great men of God, anointed and appointed, and they're getting attacked. Tell you, sharks are in the water. They are. And God doesn't want to waste an attack. He is with you while you're being attacked. Here's our big idea today. Suffering is not an obstacle to you being used by God. It's an opportunity to be used like never before. You see, some of you, this is kind of how you process. You're thinking if your difficulties are around you and and mean people are doing whatever, or maybe you're having financial difficulties, that that guess what? That God can't use you. Let me tell you, that is so far from the truth. When you're experiencing those difficulties, just know this. Suffering is not an obstacle to being used by God. It's an opportunity for God to use you like never before. Let me say it another way. Setbacks can be setups for God to use you like never before. You see, some of you, you, you recently, you've got a setback. You had a setback in your marriage, a setback with your children, a setback in your finances, a setback in whatever way. Know this, that what you saw was a setback, maybe God setting you up to use you like never before. I love that. I can tell you, this past weekend, I shared this first service, has not been the best weekend for my wife and I. 
um, we uh, chose to, uh, she chose, and I willingly followed, to, to like change out all of the clothes in our uh, closets. And that's always an ordeal, trying to get away and throw away stuff or donate stuff and this and that. And uh, I'm a guy, and I'm like, you know, I got nothing to throw away. You know, I'm good, right? And, I mean, I, there's holes in it, but I'm good, right? And so we were, we've been like this m- most of the weekend. And, man, we were just feeling like setback after setback. And I remember I've had to apologize more to her this weekend than I've had in the past three months. And, uh, and she had to do as well. And as we were going to bed last night, she kissed me on the cheek, and she says, I'm sorry. And I said, I'm sorry. And I said, we got tomorrow. We're going to do, do better. And we are. And I'm sharing this with you because I'm not perfect. Sometimes I have setbacks. I'm telling you this because sometimes setbacks can be setups where maybe God can use that story and maybe you're struggling in your marriage and you're like, God can never use me. No, he can. Because your suffering is not an obstacle to being used by God. It's an opportunity for God to use you like never before. Verse 23. They were severely beaten. They were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape. That's important. So the jailer put them in the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in stocks. So Paul and Silas are thrown not just in the dungeon, but in the inner dungeon. I mean, sometimes things just go from bad to worse. And can they come back after this attack? I mean, they're accused of a crime they didn't commit. All they were doing was giving freedom to a young girl uh, who was oppressed by this demon. They're severely beaten. They're locked up in chains. They're thrown into a dungeon. Their feet were fashioned to stocks designed to do such painful cramping by spreading their legs as far as and wide as humanly possible. And yet, what are they going to do? Verse 25. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were blank, and the other prisoners were listening. Now, before we move on, if you had been uh, falsely accused and beaten and been a, a mob riot incited around you and you felt like God had abandoned you, what would you put in that blank there? I'm telling you, as, a, as your pastor, I would put in that blank anger, frustration, exasperation. I would be doubting God. I would be yay-yan. Y'all know what yay-yan is, right? It's that Greek word that comes from yay-yan, right? It is. It's just like complaining and arguing. I would be so frustrated. And guess what? Everyone would be listening. What do you put in that blank? Look at what Paul and Silas put in that blank. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were... Praying. Now, let me say this. As your pastor, I'd be praying. I'd be praying that God would give, you know, the people who attack me like an eternal case of hemorrhoids. That's what I would be praying. Right? But that's not how Paul and Silas were praying. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And guess what? The other prisoners were listening. You see, what they filled in that blank was an attitude. It was an attitude. Look at Paul and Silas's attitude. It wasn't negative. It wasn't sour. They weren't bitter. 
They weren't allowing their problems to define them. In fact, they were allowing it to refine them. They didn't allow this setback to define them. They had no control over this situation, no control over getting beaten. They had no control of even how they sat in the dungeon because of the stocks. Everything is out of control for them, and the only thing they had control for of was their attitude. If you want to know how to survive a shark attack, it has everything to do with your attitude. Whether or not you will get bitter or get better all depends upon your attitude. So let me ask you a question. How's your attitude? Do you find yourself getting pretty testy, even argumentative at times? Do you always seem irritated and negative, always complaining or grumpy? Have you had a weekend like my wife and I have had a weekend like this? Then the, the thing I want to encourage me to do, nobody else, and this may not apply to anybody else, it applies to me. That attitude is a choice. It's a choice. You don't believe me? Proverbs 15, 15. When a man is gloomy, everything seems to go what? But when a man is cheerful, everything seems right. Have you seen this in your life? I have. You know, when you're gloomy and you're pessimistic, you just, you can't, I mean, it just, it, it keeps, it's spiraling downward. I mean, you could be that California person who hit the, the Powerball lottery, right? And you were like, well, it wasn't $700 million, right? Because you're grumpy, right? You're gloomy. You're negative. And I know some of you are like, well, I'm just, I'm naturally pessimistic. Okay, you may be naturally pessimistic. Good thing that our God doesn't want to just be natural. He wants us to be supernatural. Some of you, you need a change of attitude. You always see the glass half empty. Change. And, and hear me, after a while it's like, well, that, I'm just not being true to me. Well, be true to God. Don't worry about being true to you. Change your attitude. Your attitude determines your altitude. Did you know that? It does. Let me read you a, a little bit lengthy quote from Chuck Swindoll, one of my mentors in seminary. He says this, The longer I live, the more I realize the impact of my attitude has on my life. Attitude to me is more important than the facts. Attitude is more important than the past. Attitude is more important than education. Attitude is more important than money. Attitude is more important than circumstances, than failures, and even successes. Attitude is more important than what other people say or do. The more, it's more important than appearance, giftedness, or skill. Attitude will make you or break you. The remarkable thing is, that you and I have a choice regarding the attitude we will embrace for that day. I continue reading. We cannot change our past. We cannot change the fact that people will act in a certain way. We cannot change the inevitable. The only thing we can do is play on the one string that we have, and that is our attitude. I am convinced that 10% of life is what happens to me, and 90% is how I react to it. The most significant decision I can make today is my choice of what? There it is. Some of you, I've met you. You need a serious attitude adjustment. Right? You do. If emotional outbursts don't stop, guess what? You're not going to only alienate your children. You're going to become a lonely, bitter, and crotchety old person. Have you met old, bitter, crotchety old people? I have. In, in, in a lot of churches, we call them mature believers. Seriously. 
And here's the thing, is I'm growing, I, I, am, I, I am 46 years old. I am closer to becoming the old you know, person than the younger person. And if I'm not careful in my own life, I will choose bitterness and crotchetiness, right? It's in there. I just made a George W. Bushism, right? I did, right? I'll become an old, angry person. Let me give you another quote. A bad attitude is like a flat tire. You ain't going nowhere until you change it. Come on now. So that'll preach. Just saying. All broken, shake down, and spilled out. I'm just saying. So... Paul and Silas had a positive attitude. And what did they do? What made them get that attitude? It's that they prayed and they worshiped God. You see, when the heat is turned up on your life, when, when, when you're, you feel like you're in the vice grips of life, what oozes out? Is it four-letter words or are you singing to Jesus? Or are, are you worshiping God? I'm telling you. Some of you are like, well, that's not even... Is that even practical? Yes, it is. It is. But it has everything to do with how you, you will choose life and choose your attitude. Because everyone is listening. Did you know your kids are listening? Your coworkers are listening? Look what it says in verse 25. They were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were, let me hear you say it, listening. Everyone around you is listening to how you respond to your problems. People are watching you, they're watching me, and they're going through crisis. When somebody cuts me off on the interstate, people are going to watch what I'm doing. In fact, some of you, you will cut me off on the interstate just to see what's the pastor going to do, right? (laughs) They are watching, and they're going to see what comes out because people are watching you through a crisis. You know, they're watching all the time, but it's easy for us to kind of coast through life when everything's going good. It's easy to, you know, sing and coast through life when everything's going great. But when, when things are not going our way and the sharks start to attack and circumstances start to sour, will you start to sour or will you choose a good attitude and praise God? And look at this. They prayed and their perspective changed. I love that. It's about me, woe is me, to God, it's about you. Verse 26, suddenly there was a massive earthquake. And the prison was shaken to its foundations. And all the doors immediately flew open. And the chains of every prisoner fell off. You know, that's what positive attitude will do. Praising God will go beyond your common hurdles and it will clear the deck in your life. It will free you with with some hang-ups. So God caused this earthquake, this miraculous earthquake in this Philippian jail, and the chains fell off of everyone. The doors flew open. But here's what's the amazing miracle is no one got up and left the jail. Because if they did, the Philippian jailer, the warden, would have been murdered and killed. Look at verse 27. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed, how do you spell assume? Don't say it out loud. He assumed the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself. So there's this guy who ran the prison, the warden, and he's known in here as the Philippian jailer. And if one person had escaped, he would have been killed. I mean, it's not like today. One person escaped on the spot. He was to be executed because it was probably an inside job. That was kind of their mentality. So he was getting ready to kill himself, verse 28. But Paul shouted to him, Stop! Don't kill yourself. We are all here. 
You know, praising God and choosing a positive attitude will show you ministry opportunities you would otherwise miss. And that's exactly what happened with Paul and Silas. Because of this, the Philippian jailer asked the most profound question in the world. In fact, it's going to be the question I'm going to force you to ask this morning. For some of you, you're going to have to ask this sometime in your life. And this is the question that the Philippian jailer asked. He brought to them out and says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? You see, you and I, we've got to realize people are watching us. The Philippian jailer was listening to them, praying and singing. The prisoners were listening. And then he hits his knees and says, Okay, what do I got to do to have what you've got? And their response, verse 31, they replied, believe. Everybody say believe. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Along with everyone in your household. Now this word believe is not like, okay, yeah, I believe this table is here. Or I believe that we're all in church today. No, it's, it's, it's more than that. It's believing and then entering into a relationship with Jesus. Let me tell you, religion. Most people, when they think of religion and thinking about church or whatever, religion is spelled D-O. It's all about what you do. You got to do this, and you got to pray this, and this many Hail Marys, and you got to rub these beads, and you got to say this, and you got to confess this many times, and then everything's going to be okay. No, that's religion. Religion is do, do, do. But let me tell you, a relationship with Jesus is spelled D-O-N-E. It's done. Jesus has done everything, everything that needed to be done so that you can have a relationship with your Heavenly Father. He's already done it. It's the reason why when he was dying upon the cross, he says, it is finished. It's done. So if you're trying to do, 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 do to make yourself right with your Heavenly Father, know this, you will never be made right. But if you are trusting and believing in Jesus because of what he has done, you can have eternal life. Look what happens to this jailer. He makes this decision and it's so powerful. He tells his entire household about it. Verse 32. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and all who lived in his household. Get this. The same person who was the warden who was torturing them is now the one who's now washing their wounds. Even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. Then he and everyone in his household were immediately what? Baptized. Get this, the miracle of this earthquake served not just to deliver them out of their stocks, not just to deliver them out of their chains, not just to deliver Paul and Silas out of the jail. No, the miracle of this earthquake in this jail served to deliver the Philippian jailer and his entire household. I love that. That's the purpose of the crisis. So Paul and Silas went, I love this, he went from the fashion house of Lydia Gucci to the jailhouse, and then from the jailhouse, he went to the Philippian jailer's house, and then what happens to the Lydia and the Philippian jailer is that they were both baptized. So my question is simply today, have you been baptized? Now some of you, you can't answer that question because you've never began a relationship with Jesus Christ. You need to do that today. You need to do that today. And once you do that, then I'm going to invite you to be baptized. 
we're having, uh, we're going to tiebreaker. I promise you there's no sharks there tonight, right? So we're going to be there. If you want to get better, we can do that. You can make your decision public for Jesus Christ. You can do that today. But that only happens when you come and enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ. So I'm going to invite you to pray. And right now, if you want to talk to God, you can do that. And you can give your heart and life and believe in Jesus Christ. Dear Heavenly Father, we love you. And God, I thank you so much, Lord, that you can come and you can come even in our difficult times. Lord, that you can be there for us. And even while we're on trumped up charges and with the sharks attack, God, you are there and you are listening and you walk us through those times. So God, I pray right now, anyone who does not have a relationship with Jesus, that they would be able to pray a prayer like this. Simply, God, I am a sinner and I cannot do it on my own. So Heavenly Father, I pray that your son will come into my life. I believe in him. I ask him to be my savior and to call the shots in my life. Thank you for hearing this prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer, your next step is to be baptized. You don't have to pray about it. Every time somebody began a relationship with Jesus Christ in the New Testament, every time they were baptized. Every time. So if you're here and you prayed that prayer, or maybe you prayed that prayer five years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, maybe you entered into a relationship, we want to say today, 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 you can take your next step. You can get baptized. As we leave, I'm going to invite each and every one of you after we sing, You're going to come by the Next Steps table, and you can come and talk to me, and I can help you as you walk through your decision to get baptized. We're going to give a a shark tooth out to everybody so that you can just keep this as a reminder of how you can survive a shark attack. Let me pray for you. We're going to sing. Lord, we love you. We thank you so much, God, that you hear our prayers. And, Lord, that you respond because you gave your son, Jesus Christ, so that we and have a relationship with you. We love you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing.